Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Lamentations. The Old Testament book of Lamentations in chapter number 3. The Old Testament book of Lamentations in chapter number 3. We will continue with our regular series back on Sunday morning. But since we had a free spot here, we wanted to preach something that would be an encouragement and a blessing to you. And we find it inside of the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Remember, the book of Lamentations is found right after the book of Jeremiah inside of what we call the major prophets. So if you find Isaiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And so these are going to be very important major prophet books. And we find as an addendum, as a poetical book following up the book of Jeremiah, the small little book of Lamentations. And if you wouldn't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Lamentations and chapter number 3. The book of Lamentations in chapter number 3, and let's look starting at verse number 1. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 1. I am the man that have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness but not into the light. Surely against me is he turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways and with huge stone and hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if it be so that there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Lamentations in chapter number 3? The book of Lamentations in chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse number 21. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21, notice the phrase, Therefore have I hope. Therefore have I hope. And if you don't mind, you could rearrange it. Therefore, I have hope. Both say the same thing. We're thankful that because of God, we can have hope. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I'm thankful that we could trust you and depend upon you for hope. I'm asking that you would give us grace and mercy even now, that our thoughts and our minds would be upon you, that you would teach us more about you and who you are, that we may have hope when it seems like everything's falling apart around us, when it seems we're in the midst of affliction, in the midst of turmoil, when we're in the midst of destruction, we can still have hope hope. I'm asking that you would help us even now, Lord, to look up towards you and that wherever the folks are at, wherever they're finding themselves in situations, whatever they're facing, that they can look towards you and recall these things to their mind and they too can have hope. Thank you, Lord. Help us now. Fill me with your spirit. Guide and direct. Open up this passage in a special way. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Lamentations is a very important poetical book. The book of Lamentations, the word lamentation itself means a funeral dirge. It is a wailing and crying out because of things that have occurred. What is this event that has occurred? It is the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 by the Babylonian Empire. That Jeremiah is a witness of the destruction. And he walks through Jerusalem and he sees the sights and he smells the smells and he hears the sounds of God's wrath being poured upon a city. He sees and gives an account. He writes in a poetical way explaining what does the wrath of God look like? What does the destruction of God sound like? 
The book of Lamentations is made out of five chapters. Four of those chapters, one, two, three, uh, one, two, four, and five, all have 22 verses. And the reason why is because this is a poetical book. What has happened is that each one of these verses start with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, similar to Psalm 119. In Lamentations chapter 3, you'll notice that there are 66 verses, and that's because it triplicates this, A-A-A-B-B-B-C-C-C, and it does it because it does it three times, and because there's 22 letters, we come up with 66 verses. But this is again to say that this is a poetical book, that this is giving the boots on the ground. If you can imagine that Jeremiah is like a live on-scene reporter. And he walks through Jerusalem and he's given a report about what he sees, what he smells, what he hears. And it goes through and sees his tears as he's giving a report about what has happened in this fateful day where God finally destroys the city that he placed his name upon when he destroyed Jerusalem under the hand of the Babylonian Empire in 586 B.C. As we examine really quick, just looking at the context before we hit the message, we see that the suffering of God's people, that the book of Lamentations gives report over the suffering of God's people. Notice just a couple of verses really quick. Uh, Lamentations 2.2 2 gives us a, an example. Lamentations 2.2. 2, the Lord hath swallowed up the inhabitants of Jacob and hath not pitied. He hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. Notice with me in verse 5. The Lord was as an enemy. Now imagine this. Who is responsible for this destruction? Well, here it is God that's bringing down his wrath. That the people that a couple days before, if you had asked, who was your greatest friend? Who was the greatest supporter? In their mind, they had no clue that it had become the greatest enemy, that God had become the enemy. And it wasn't that God had turned, it's because the people had turned away from God and put themselves, and so God was against them because they turned. The Lord was as an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up all of our palaces. He hath destroyed the strongholds and hath increased the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. Verse 6, and he hath violently taken away his tabernacle, as if it were of a garden. He hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feast and the Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion, and hath despised in indignation the anger and the king of the priest. As we go through the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is going to be witnessing kids starving. He's going to see homes destroyed. He's going to see the princes hung. He's going to hear kids asking, Mom, when are we going to have something to eat? I'm so hungry. But one of the biggest things that breaks his heart is when he turns a corner and hits a rock and he realizes this rock used to be a part of the temple and it's now strung all throughout the streets. And the temple of God has been destroyed, has been leveled. The people are broken hearted. They're destroyed in their suffering. Lamentations chapter 4. Again, just getting a feel of the context of this book. Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 4. The tongue of the sucking child cleaveth to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread and no man breaketh it unto them. 
the destruction is so complete and so utter that the children have nothing to eat. It's what the destruction of the Lord sounds like. Notice with me Lamentations 4 and verse 11. The Lord hath accomplished his fury, and he hath poured out his fierce anger, and hath kindled a fire in Zion, and hath devoured the foundations thereof. The kings of the earth and all of the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. Everyone around the world is so surprised that God is the one that destroyed it. And they wouldn't have believed it was possible that God would have done it. But we see here a funeral dirge as the city is destroyed. But may I remind you that not only the suffering of the people, but suffering of Jeremiah himself, that just because he's a preacher doesn't mean he's immune from the effects of the destruction. He is going through the same things that the people of the city of Jerusalem are going through. That they don't have anything to eat. That means he doesn't have anything to eat. They are hurting, he is hurting. They are suffering, he is suffering alongside with it. He is not immune, but he is going through the same things. Notice, if you don't mind, the sufferings of Jeremiah. As we hit Lamentations 3, let's walk through. We see the sufferings of Jeremiah. Notice as we begin at verse 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He says, I'm walking, I'm suffering the same things as everyone else. Verse 2, he hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Again, from Jeremiah's perspective, as he's watched his city to be destroyed, he's, he's knew it was coming, but it's another thing to know it's coming. It's a different thing to live through it. And to see the destruction all around and the darkness and the, just God seeming to wipe his hands of the whole thing. Verse 3, surely against me is he turned. Again, Jeremiah is going through the same destruction. He is not immune just because he is a prophet. He hath turned his hand against me all the day. Notice as he gives a description of himself. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. So as you look at Jeremiah, he's just almost instantly aged, just like everyone else in the city, as they're now starving for food, as they have not had clean water, as the destruction has hit them and the suffering. He looks at himself and he says, man, I, I look so old now. I've, I've aged. It's looking at other people, watching them instantly age. He is going through the same things as everyone else. He says, he hath broken my bones. He's injured and damaged as everybody else. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travel. He hath set me in dark places and they be of dead of old. Notice as he now goes on in verse 7. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Here he's using this poetical language that says I can't escape from where I'm at. That I have no help from either earth and I have no help from heaven. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I have this heavy chain around me. I'm in bondage. I can't get out. I'm stuck in this place. There's, there's no escape. I can't just go move to Tahiti. I can't move locations. I'm stuck. My chain's heavy. He's going through the same thing. Verse 8. And when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. Now again, this is going from Jeremiah's perspective. We know heaven's perspective is quite different. But while he's boots on the ground and he's praying, let me tell you that 
It's not wiping everything clean and all of a sudden everything's better. He's praying and people are still suffering. He's praying and he's still hungry. He's praying and the wrath of God has still come. Verse 9. He hath enclosed my ways with a huge stone. And he hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait. And a lion in secret places. It's again poetical language saying, listen, I've been attacked. I didn't see it coming. I just as if a bear had got me in a blind spot and tearing me to shreds. There was no defense. There was nothing I could do. I'm just helpless. Verse 11. He he hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He says, I'm alone. I'm by myself. He hath bit me as a bow and set me as a mark for an arrow. He hath caused the arrow of his quiver to enter into my reins. Verse 14. I was a derision to all my people. This idea of derision carries the idea of an object lesson. Jeremiah has preached for 40 years to the people for them to get right. For 40 years he has preached. And now as the destruction has happened, the thing he was trying to prevent has occurred. What it looks like and what people are using him now is an object lesson. You want to know what a failure looks like? Look at the prophet. Look at Jeremiah. That is what a failure looks like. And so for Jeremiah's perspective, he has failed his ministry. His job was to warn people to try to get them to turn so that way the destruction wouldn't come. And nobody listened. Nobody obeyed and the destruction came. To the world he was a failure. He wasted his life for 40 years on something that didn't do any good. And now people are using him as an example of what a failure looks like. Ministry has failed. Life has failed. Everyone's pointing at him. They have their own problems but yet they're looking at the preacher and say that's what a failure looks like. I was a derision all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. And he hath made me drinken with wormwood. Again, this is natural feelings to find out, to feel like 40 years have been wasted. And now you're in the middle of destruction and it didn't have to happen. Those are natural feelings to be having right now. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. And he hath covered me with ashes. Thou has removed my soul far off from peace. Notice this. He says, it's been such a long time since I have peace. I forgot prosperity. I've been in this destruction so long now. I forgot what it was like to be fat and happy. I forgot what it was like to be able to have somewhere to sleep. And have enough food in the cupboard. I forgot what prosperity was like. This destruction is so real and so drastic. Verse 18, I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the worm, wood, and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Now as we're looking at the prophet and we're seeing all of his sufferings, 40 years he has preached and it's come to naught. 40 years he has warned and no one has listened. 40 years he warned and the same thing he said was going to happen did happen. And he's suffering right along with the people. He's starving with the people. But they're making fun of him. He's got the brokenheartedness that this didn't have to happen. And yet everyone's looking at him like a failure. He forgot what it was like to have peace and prosperity. It's just not even in his mind no more. 
And you look at the prophet. Look at him in your mind. Look at him. He's covered with gray. and He hasn't had a bath in a while. Nobody has. They don't have clean water. They don't have food. People are laughing at him. He's looking older and older because of this destruction. He's weak. He's frail. It feels like God's not listening to his prayers. How do you take another step? How do you go on? It's not like, well, tomorrow will be a better day. How do you go on? How do you take another step? How do you move forward? What do you do? How do you handle a situation when it's so dark and so completely gone, so hopeless, no way of escape? How do you keep going? Verse number 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. What's going to happen? How does he get his hope? He begins to think about who God is. And so if you don't mind, let's take this part of Lamentations. And let's look. What is he looking at? What is bringing him hope? Well, it's his vision of God. Because what he knows to be true about God. And he remembers these things about God. He has hope. And it's not a wishful hope. It is a true hope. It is a hope that allows him to take another step. It's a hope that allows him to get out of bed one more day. What is his hope based on? First of all, what is his hope based on? What does he bring to his mind? The unchangeable character of God. The first thing he brings to his mind is the unchangeable character of God. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. He says, let me tell you, what gives me hope? What goes on? Because I know something to be true about God is that God has plenty of mercy. Oh, his mercy is for me. Oh, his mercy endureth forever. Don't turn there. But in Psalm 136... Every verse in, one, in Psalm 136 ends with this phrase, For his mercy endureth forever. And what happens is that Psalm 136 walks through the history of God's dealings with God's people. Whether it was creation or leading them through the exodus, bringing through the plagues, bringing manna and water, and supplying the needs for them. And after every verse, you can almost imagine that it's a picture gallery. And each verse is a picture showing an event of what God did to take care of them. And then if you look at the brass plate underneath it, every one of them say the same thing. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. And you understand that one thing that can keep us going when we think about the unchangeable character of God is that his mercy endures forever. It is of God's mercies that we are not consumed. You know what we do deserve? We deserve hell. And anything above that is of his mercies because we don't deserve any of it. And thinking about that God has given his mercy and he hasn't killed me. I deserve to be cooked right now. I deserve to be consumed. I could take another step because I know of God's mercies. We're not consumed. Something else he says, his compassions, they fail not. I'm so thankful that we can't outrun his compassions. We can't outuse his compassions. We can't aggravate God enough that his compassions are done. 
Oh, I'm so thankful he has compassions on us that they fail not. There's never a time where God will stop loving you. You understand that God cannot love you more. It's impossible. And he refuses to love you any less. What keeps Jeremiah going? What takes him to another state? Well, the unchangeable character of God. That is mercies. Oh, they fail not. The Lord's mercies. We know that's true. Something else we know true about God, his unchangeable character, is that his compassions, they fail not. They don't stop. His love will never end. He loves us supremely. And he loves us completely. His compassions, they fail not. What else about the unchangeable character of God? We have God's mercies. We have God's compassion. But guess what? We have God's faithfulness. Notice with me in verse 23. They are new every morning. Speaking about his compassions. Aren't you glad that every time that you wake up, his compassions start brand new? Brand new reset. They're new every morning. And notice this saying, why is that? Great is thy faithfulness. Do you know why God's compassions don't stop? Because God is faithful. God made a promise to us and he will not stop that promise. We could keep going because of his faithfulness. He promised to do a work. He promised to work and we could keep hold on those promises because God is faithful. He's nothing but faithful. If you were to take God and somehow cut him open, faithfulness would run all the way through him. He is faithful. It's not just something that he, he does. It is something that he is. He is faithful. We have the unchangeable character, uh, character of God. is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Notice that the Lord is my portion. We also see that in Psalm 23, that Lord is my portion. What do we understand by this? The sufficiency of God, that God is enough. You know, sometimes we talk about that we don't realize that God is enough until he's all that we have. Jeremiah is at the place where he says, I have nothing else. But God is enough. If I have God, that's all I need. We know in the book of Habakkuk, we have that phrase, living in the yet. He says, though the things will fail, the crops will fail, the vineyards won't produce, yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God. Because of who God is. My hope is in Him. My, the unchangeable character. I've learned that God is enough. Therefore, I have hope. I bring this thing to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. What is it that keeps Jeremiah going another step? What is it that gives him hope for another day? First of all, it's the unchangeable character of God. Something else that we see here. What keeps Jeremiah going? Not only the unchangeable character of God, but the unfathomable strength of God. The unfathomable strength of God. Notice with me in verse 25. The Lord is good. The Lord is good to them that wait for him. That is a declarative statement. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. Remember that waiting on God is the ultimate form of worship. If we learn how to wait on God, that means we trust him.
Now, waiting on God isn't to cross your arms and to tap your finger and to, <coughs> to keep <coughs> saying, all right, hurry up, God, hurry up, God, hurry up, God. But we understand that waiting on God has everything to do that we can trust Him and that we can depend upon Him. He is a God we can trust. We have the unfathomable strength of God. That God is good to them that wait on Him. Why is it that we don't have strength from day to day? Why is it that we don't have strength to keep going? Because we're not waiting on God. We're not letting God get accomplished what He wants to get accomplished. We're trying to run ahead. We get so impatient. Why haven't you fixed it yet, God? I told you last night. Why isn't it done? We haven't learned to wait on God, that God's timing is perfect, that God is perfect, that God knows what he's doing. The Lord is good. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. God has enough strength. We could trust him that he knows what he's doing and when he's going to do it. Notice what else we see, verse 25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. We know our strength comes from worship of Him. God made a promise that if we seek Him, He shall be found. We just don't seek for Him. We don't look for Him. Someone may say, well wait, why does God want us to look for Him? Is He like playing spiritual hide and seek? Is He always just around the other corner that every time we look, he's just, we just missed Him? No, God just wants us to put forth the effort to look for Him. He wants us to trust Him so much that we're willing to look for Him and He will be found. We're just not willing to look. We want God to work, but we don't want to see God. So often we seek God's hand before we seek His face. We try to get things from God rather than trying to be with God. If God is enough, then we're satisfied to be with Him. But so often we're not. And we're not looking for him. We're not trying to see what he's doing. We're not trying to understand and trying to, to trust that he knows what he's doing. We, we've lost this element of faith. We just want God to work on our timetable and we're not looking for him. Notice as it goes on in verse 26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait. Sometimes when we do get around to waiting, it's not quietly. We're complaining and fussing and murmuring the entire time. Can you trust him? What kept Jeremiah going step by step? Because of the unchangeable character of God, but also the unfathomable strength of God. I can trust him. He is big enough to take care of this situation. He is wise enough to take care of this situation. I can trust him. And the proof that I could trust him is that I could hope and quietly wait. Sometimes God will allow situations in your life just to prove that you don't quietly wait. Because we don't trust in him. We'll trust in him as long as everything's going well. But you let a hiccup hit in your schedule. You let someone throw you a curveball. And we're quick to complain. And we're quick to murmur. And we're quick to find fault. And we're quick to find 
all things except to say, you know what? God knows what he's doing. I can trust him. Quietly wait. Notice as it goes on. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation. Remember this word salvation carries the basic idea of deliverance. He says, I can expect God to deliver. I'm not expecting, this isn't the idea that he's, I'm waiting for him to save me from salvation. I can wait for God to deliver me out of the situation that I'm in. I can quietly wait. Verse 27, it is good. Notice second verse in a row, it says it is good. It is good for a man to both hope and quietly wait for the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Notice as it goes on. In 28, he sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He put it his mouth in the dust. If so, be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. 27 through 30 carries this idea. Willful submission. My master is good and he is just. And I'm going to submit with my heart, trusting in him. This is what God has given me right now. I'm going to trust him. This is hard. This idea of submitting to the situation. Submitting to authority. Submitting to God that he knows what he's doing. And trusting him with our heart. But how can I do that? How can I submit to a God? Because I trust in his unfathomable strength. My God is big enough and he is wise enough and he is able to do this. So I can wait for him. What is it that allowed Jeremiah to take another step? What allowed him to take another breath? When everything around him is falling apart. First of all, it was because of the unchangeable character of God. Second of all, the unfathomable strength of God. Third of all, as he continues to look at God, the unfailing promises of God. The unfailing promises of God. Notice with me in verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Oh, that's a blessing. He's not going to keep you in this state forever. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6 that he that began a good work in you will complete it against that day. That if God started to do a work on you, he's going to finish his work. Until he calls you home. He's always going to be working on you as long as you allow him to. I can trust him because he's trying to do something in my life. He is working in me. He's trying to do something too for me. Notice as we go on, we're trusting in God's promises. His unfailing promises that the Lord will not cast off forever. He's got a plan. He's working. We can trust him. Verse 32. But though he caused grief, yet... Will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies? He says, my compassion is as long as my mercy. And Psalm 103, which we'll get later on in Thanksgiving, it speaks about as high as heaven is from earth. That is how far his mercies and compassions stretch out. That's quite a distance. God has unfathomable mercies. 
You can't, un- can't find the beginning and end of his mercies. They're that big and that deep. You can never find the bottom of it if you dive down in that well. We could trust him. His compassion is as deep as his mercies. He will have compassion upon us according to the multitude of his mercies. Notice as we go on in verse 33. For he doth not afflict willingly. Nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of earth. To turn aside the right of a man before the face of the most high God. To subvert a man in his cause as the Lord approveth it not. Notice again verse 33. For he doth not afflict willingly. Nor grieve the children of men. What is this speaking about? He says my purpose is not to destroy you. My purpose is to make you more like Christ. And he says, in order to make you the person that you ought to be, sometimes there's some pressure that has to be applied. Sometimes you have to go through a situation to get rid of some things in your life. Sometimes you have to go through the refiner's fire so you can come forth as gold. But he says, my purpose is not to harm you. My purpose is to make you more like Christ. Sometimes as a medic, we had to draw blood on people and Sometimes it's a little kid and they're afraid of the needle. And sometimes we have to look at him and say, listen, this may hurt, but it won't harm you. It will hurt just for a moment, but it's not meant to cause permanent damage. God says, I'm not trying to cause permanent damage on you. I'm not trying to destroy you. I've got a purpose for this. This is an intentional plan. I know what it takes to make you the person that you are. God knows what pressures have to be put on. He knows what infirmities he has to put upon you. He knows what hardships have to come in your life to make you the person, the vessel that he wants you to be. The weapon in the hand he desires to have you be. What kept Jeremiah going on? Because he knows that God's not trying to harm him. He's got a plan. As long as I know that God has a plan for my life. As long as I know that he still wants to use me. As long as I know that God's still on the throne. I can trust him to do his work. Again, Jeremiah is in an awful spot. He's at a place where he's suffering through the destruction of Jerusalem. Just like everyone else is. He's hungry. He's hurting. He's in pain. He's not clean. People are laughing at him, using him as an example of what a failure looks like. It's at the place where he says, it just feels like nobody's helping me. Nobody on earth and nobody in heaven. Jeremiah, how can you wake up the next morning? How come you're not giving up? How can you take another step? This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. What is it? He keeps his eye on God. He keeps his eye on him. As long as he's looking at him, he knows I'm going to be all right. God's going to do this. I could wait for him. I could worship him. You see, my God, because of his character, I know who he is. Because of God's strength, I know what he can do. And because of his promises, I know what he told me. I can trust the Lord. We know that The Christian life is not a bed of roses. It's not a series of just rainbows after puppy dog tails. That we go through storms. 
We go through tragedies. We go through afflictions. We go through situations we don't understand. And we go through things that we would have never chosen to go through ourselves. How do we keep going? When the world's falling apart and it's seeming everlastingly more, increasingly more against us. How can we give? Why don't we just give up? Because of God. If we keep our eyes on Him. This will I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. He says, I am on purpose looking at God. I'm on purpose remembering who God is. I'm on purpose thinking about God's promises. Therefore, I have hope. I don't know what you're going through. I might not even understand what you're going through. There may be no one that understands what you're going through. But God has a purpose. And you can trust him. Maybe some of you need to come and quietly wait for God. Maybe some of you need to seek him. Maybe some of you need to on purpose Look at him instead of the circumstances. Look at him instead of your problems. Look at him instead of the people around you. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.